Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to The Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up, make sure you're subscribed because I'm splitting $10,000 across 10 lucky beautiful bastards this month, and let's just jump into it. Y'all, first up today, as usual, America is split between two mutually exclusive realities. Was the election stolen? Are vaccines helpful? Is Angela from Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal actually a real person? One of those is not like the others. But, uh, you know, this latest controversy, if you want to even call it that, to grip the American public surrounds the Boston Children's Hospital, which notably was actually named the number one pediatric care center for the ninth year in a row last June. But now it's being dragged into this so-called culture war largely because of libs of TikTok, who posted a clip last week from this video originally made by the hospital. Gender-affirming hysterectomy is very similar to most hysterectomies that occur. A hysterectomy itself is the removal of the uterus, the cervix, which is the opening of the uterus, and the fallopian tubes, which are attached to the sides of the uterus. Some gender-affirming hysterectomies will also include the removal of the ovaries, but that's technically a separate procedure called a bilateral oophorectomy. And not every gender-affirming hysterectomy includes that, and people who are getting gender-affirming hysterectomies do not have to have their ovaries removed. With, and this is one of the key things here, libs of TikTok framing this video as Boston Children's Hospital now offering gender-affirming hysterectomies for young girls, seeming to imply to her more than one million followers that it performs the irreversible surgery on minors. But, and this is the other key thing here, not true. As places like PolitiFact or anyone that took an additional two seconds could tell you, patients who qualify must be 18 years or older and have a letter from a medical doctor stating that they have persistent, well-documented gender dysphoria. Like that is literally on the hospital's website. And that's in line with the medical guidelines developed by the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. But of course, none of that stopped a host of right-wing personalities from amplifying the misinformation. Like just so many pushing this. And many of the individual doctors at the hospital are getting bombarded by harassing comments on social media and negative reviews on their online pages. So much so, that yesterday the hospital put out a statement saying it has been the target of a large volume of hostile internet activity, phone calls, and harassing emails, including threats of violence towards our clinicians and staff, adding that it sent an email to its employees instructing them on how to respond to such threats, with it getting so bad that it's coordinating with law enforcement to ensure the safety of its staff. We've also got a Twitter representative telling NBC they're looking into the harassment campaign. And the unfortunate thing is like, this is not the first time even for Boston Children's Hospital, with it also receiving harassment last year for just providing gender-affirming treatment, again, not to children. And the thing is, I don't fault the people that are being misled by libs of TikTok, like the, the, it's in the fucking name, Boston Children's Hospital. You're like, of course, they're talking about people that are under 18. But the moment you take a little extra time, you're like, oh no, these people are just misleading others. But hey, now you watch my show and you know the reality of the situation. So do with the information as you will. And then let's talk about this news that touches on comedy, sensitivities, Hollywood, and cancel culture. This specific story centering around a film that Jamie Foxx wrote, directed, and starred in called All-Star Weekend. And while it started filming back in 2016, it has an all-star cast. You've probably never heard of it. Where you've got Jamie Foxx and Jeremy Piven playing basketball fans who won tickets to All-Star Weekend in Los Angeles, and they travel to the city to see their favorite players. It also co-starred the likes of Robert Downey Jr., Benicio Del Toro, Gerard Butler, and Eva Longoria. And so with all those heavy hitters, it's like, how have we never heard about this movie? How is it unreleased? And what we're seeing now is that Jamie Foxx just did an interview, and he suggested that the current cultural climate would not receive the humor of this film well. Man, it's been tough, you know, with, with uh, the lay of the land when it comes to comedy, man. Uh, you know, it's... we. We, we're trying. We're trying to break open those sensitive corners where people go back to laughing again. You know, that's kind of vague. It's like, okay, well, what are the specifics? So, with looking into this, I actually found out this is not the first time that he's talked about this. Back in 2017, he was actually on the Joe Rogan Experience talking about it, and there he detailed something about the characters that could piss people off. It's like I play a white racist white racist cop. Robert Downey Jr. plays a Mexican. With Jamie then, of course, talking about Robert Downey Jr. famously doing blackface in Tropic Thunder and how they probably couldn't do that anymore. With Jamie at that time also going on to detail that Robert Downey Jr. was actually hesitant to take on the role in All-Star Weekend. I called Robert. I said, listen, I, I need you to play a Mexican. He says, dude, uh, here's the deal. Sure. Fuck it. <laughs> sure. Why not? Fuck it. Sure. Of course. 
or Mexican, whatever. But then he texts back and said, I'm nervous to play the Mexican. I said, well, shit, you played the black dude. And you kill that shit. Side note, Jamie Foxx is annoyingly talented. Like my guy, why can't you just be good at one or two things? Impressions too? But anyways, with this story, Jamie then continues to point that entertainers need room to create, to play characters. Though you have some people pointing to other things saying, you know, this is probably not the only reason. People pointing to just a few months back, you had Jeremy Piven giving a different reason as to why the film didn't come out. But I'm kind of pointing the finger at Jamie Foxx saying, you know, Jamie is so talented. He's a big perfectionist. So he's guarding over and he doesn't want to release this film. But in general, I think it does bring us to a question that we've seen come up more and more, especially over the past decade. Is it appropriate for an actor to play someone of a different race? Or with one of the most recent examples being uh, actor John Leguizamo calling out James Franco for playing Fidel Castro, saying how is Hollywood not only excluding us, but stealing our narratives as well? No more appropriation. And that's kind of a lot of the argument of it being exploitive. It's taking the opportunity away from the person that it's supposed to be representing. Additionally, it can be seen as mockery or offensive. Also, it's not limited to just race. I remember Brian Cranston got a lot of crap for playing someone that was uh, not able-bodied. But then, of course, on the other side of this, you have people saying, no, actors are supposed to be people that they're not. That's inherently part of the role. They're supposed to put on someone else's skin. So ultimately, the, the questions I want to pass off to you here is, one, where do you stand on that general question? And two, do you think that All-Star Weekend should and or can be released in this day and age? Because you know, Jamie Foxx is not alone thinking that we are past the age of being able to release White Chicks or a Tropic Thunder. But from that, I want to take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Ridge. You know, I had a Ridge wallet before they even became a sponsor. I love that Ridge is a minimalist front pocket wallet that's slim, RFID blocking and comes with a lifetime guarantee. All right, we need to get past it. Men's wallets can and have been incredibly bulky. If you're sitting down and having a conversation and you're leaning in, not because the conversation's interesting, but because you have just shit jutting out of your wallet, you need a new one. That old school BS, it's just not practical for the modern man or woman. The Ridge helps you carry less, but always what you need. And it's awesome sleek design has to be what I love most. It is two metal plates bound together by a durable elastic band, so it's easy to get out what you want and easy to put in something new. And their key case is sleek, durable, and takes the jingle out of the key ring experience. And get this, with every dollar spent on the website before September 30th, you'll get entered to win a brand new upgraded Ford Bronco or 75K if you prefer cash, with the winner being announced in October. So head on over to ridge.com slash DeFranco and make sure you use code DeFranco to get 10% off site wine. And then we should definitely talk about yesterday's primary elections in Alaska and Wyoming. Because like most discussions of the primaries this midterm season, the central narrative of the discussion has been, what does it mean for Trump and his hold of the Republican Party? And yesterday we saw some of the most interesting results regarding that. Starting off with Representative Liz Cheney, it was widely expected for her to lose, and she did just that, losing the primary in a landslide to a Trump-endorsed challenger. When I say landslide, I mean landslide, with around 95% of the precincts reporting Cheney had received just 28% of the vote to her rival 66%. And while expected, that margin is so telling. Liz Cheney reportedly voted with Donald Trump 93% of the time. But of course, where she famously did not agree with Donald Trump was his attempt to undo democracy and steal the election. And just like that, this person that voted with Trump 93% of the time, that cheered the reversal of Roe v. Wade lost massive. Especially when you take a second to look back and remember that in 2020, she won her primary 73.5 to 26.1. That's what happened to the number three Republican in House leadership. Though, of course, well before this primary, her Republican colleagues had stripped her of that leadership role because she called out Trump's election lies and condemned him for minimizing the attack. And very key here, Cheney isn't the only Republican who has firmly denounced Trump and lost her seat. Out of the 10 Republican House members who voted in favor of impeaching the former president after the insurrection, only two have advanced to the general election, with four having now lost their primaries in the 
the remaining four having decided not to even run for re-election at all. And so while Cheney is not alone here, she is the most high profile of the impeachment Republicans. And her loss is also the most symbolically important because it really underscores how deeply the GOP has realigned to blindly support Trump. Right before she turned on Trump and announced to the world, the emperor has no clothes. She was a popular person among her party. She was quickly rising the ranks. Now, with all that said, Cheney, for her part, has made it clear that her fight is far from over, continuing her condemnation of Trump in a concession speech last night where she implied that she was eyeing a run for president. But they're also telling reporters this morning that she was thinking about running and would make the decision in the coming months. But as far as how much momentum Cheney would get for that potential bid, I mean, it's important to look at a few things. With given her stance that she would likely just be a Republican protest vote of, I don't want Trump, there is still a base of Republicans out there who do not support Trump and his candidates. And in fact, we actually saw a really interesting showing from that base yesterday in Alaska. Now, one of the important things to know about Alaska is that its primaries are open, meaning that members of all parties compete against one another with the top four candidates then advancing to the general, regardless of affiliation. And notably, when they get to the general election, they have ranked choice voting. And so in the Senate race there, incumbent Lisa Murkowski, the only Senate Republican who voted to convict Trump at his impeachment trial, advanced into the general. With around 70% of the votes counted, she's currently leading a Trump-backed opponent by a margin of over 43% to 40%. Also, very notable here is what went down in the special election to choose who will serve out the remainder of the term for Alaska's only congressional seat, which was vacated when the previous member died. Now, the, the thing with this special election is that it's not actually a primary. Alaskans already went through the primary process for this race back in June, selecting their top four candidates to advance to the general vote, though one of the four, a Democrat, dropped out after. So because the special election yesterday was technically a general election, voters got to use the ranked choice system for the first time to pick between the remaining Democrat and two Republicans. This including the candidate that Trump endorsed, former Alaska governor and vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin. With just under 70% of the precincts reporting, the Democrat is actually in the lead with Palin in second place and tailing by six points. But I do want to note, because the special election was ranked choice, these current results don't mean that the Democrat will win. But the process of tallying all the ranked choice votes is expected to take weeks, and the final outcome depends on how many voters ranked each candidate in relation to one another, and most importantly, who they rank second. But no matter what, it would be incredibly significant if the Democrat won, or even if they came in second but still above Palin. So, so far, more of an interesting mix here, especially when compared to Cheney's just blowout loss. But ultimately, that's where we are. We're gonna have to keep our eyes on any developments and trends, but we're gonna have to wait to see how all this plays out in the general. And then, let's talk about this Florida court's decision that a 16-year-old girl was not mature enough to get an abortion that was upheld on Monday of this week. Right, so the teen, only known as Jane Doe 22B, has no parents, lives with a relative, is under state care, and is a legal guardian. When she first went to court seeking an abortion, she was just 10 weeks pregnant. The case was first seen in a lower court before being sent to a three-judge panel at the First Circuit Court of Appeals. And that appeals court upholding the lower court's decision that this teen was not mature enough and that she, quote, had not established by clear and convincing evidence that she was sufficiently mature to decide whether to terminate her pregnancy. And as you can imagine, this resulted in a lot of reactions. Pro-birthers, of course, cheering on the move, but also on the other side, you had people saying things like, Florida is forcing a 16-year-old girl to have a baby because they say she is not mature enough to have an abortion. Let that sink in. But in the midst of all that being said, I looked a little further and it's not as black and white, I think, as a lot of people are talking about. Right, so technically, the appeals court never ruled that she's gonna be forced to carry this pregnancy to term. With the appeals court agreeing with the lower court that the teen possibly needed time to consider the decision and writing in their decision. Reading between the lines, it appears that the trial court wanted to give the minor who was under extra stress due to a friend's death additional time to express a keener understanding of the consequences of terminating a pregnancy. This makes sense given that the minor, at least at one point, says she was open to having a child, but later changed her view after considering her inability to care for a child in her current station in life. And so in line with that, the teen's able to go back to the circuit judge and petition for abortion again. But still, with all that, you have people going, okay, well still the big question is why was this even in the courts at all. And well, that is because in Florida, a minor can get an abortion with parental consent or by going around them and going to court for help. And so with Jane Doe 22B not having any parents, it seems obvious why she went to court. However, she does have a legal guardian that is fine with the abortion and that apparently counts too, which also led to the appeals court being a little confused about this whole issue, writing that if her guardian, quote, consents to the minor's termination of her pregnancy, all that is required is a written waiver from the guardian. So it looks like with everything that's 
happening right now and so much confusion, there's actually a quick and easy solution to all of this anyways. But a key thing here is that is just for this situation. Because looking into it, in the past, Florida courts have actually tried to deny abortion for teens because their GPAs were too low. Which, I will note, that was successfully appealed eventually, but it's only a matter of time before someone is forced to give birth by the court. And then, you know, stepping back even further, this entire situation highlights a serious debate about the government's role in these decisions, especially when teens are involved. I think it's part of the reason this exchange between Joe Rogan and his guest Seth Dillon got so much attention. You don't have the right to tell my 14-year-old daughter she has to carry her rapist baby. You yeah, understand to that? to look that woman in the eye who's, who was the but born listen, of a rape. Do you understand that? That's a 14-year-old child. If you a 14-year-old child gets raped, you say that they have to carry that baby? I don't think two wrongs make a right. I don't think that's murder, not, I don't I don't think think murder is an answer to... I don't think murder fixes a rape. What if we're talking about an abortion when the fetus... Like, literally, it's like six weeks, four weeks, three days... What if she just turned positive just now? Positive for pregnancy. With Dylan defending his position with the usual pro-birth talking points or things like, and I'm paraphrasing, it's a human life or asking when does the magic happen for Rogan to consider a fetus a human. Also with his back and forth, we saw Dylan getting a lot of praise from conservatives for this moment. I think abortion is healthcare the way that rape is lovemaking. Though notably, that statement got a lot of pushback as well. With people arguing and pointing out that no, abortion is healthcare. It's used to stop ectopic pregnancies or save the mother's life. The idea that it's used flippantly is insane. With a lot of those people also kind of putting their hands up in the air though, going, you know, nothing's gonna come from this debate. They're saying we're not gonna ever see eye to eye with someone that believes that a, that a clump of cells is human at conception. Which also brings us to the second thing. In America, the idea that life begins at conception is a very Christian position. With people noting that Judaism and Islam actually allow for abortions under various circumstances and people arguing that forcing them to adhere to Christian standards actually likely violates the First Amendment. Which is also why we've seen lawsuits about this already brought up. And why we've seen people responding to the clipping question with things like, nah, keep religion to yourselves. The idea that life begins at the moment of conception is purely religious, so it should not be forced upon those who don't believe so. But also beyond the religion question, many are uncomfortable with the idea that the government is now telling people what they can and cannot do with their bodies and their healthcare. But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. As always, thank you for watching, being subscribed for these daily dives into the news. Also, if you need more news, I got you covered right here or check out that description down below but of course as always my name's philip defranco you've just been filled in i love yo faces and i'll see you tomorrow